All right, guys, I guess we'll get started here. Lord, we just thank you that you're, you're here. Jesus is here among us. And that all we need to do is look to you. Lord, thank you for the simplicity of Christ in us, our hope of glory. Lord, lead us now by your spirit to hear heavenly things and to be encouraged. Help us to see as you see. Teach us your ways, for your ways are not man's ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are they different from man's ways. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Amen. Good morning. Um, I want to continue some thoughts that, that we shared last Sunday. Um, there's some things I, I couldn't fit into that 35 minutes, you know, and some, some more uh, point, points I want to make about what we discussed. I think it's such an important thing to see, um, and that is this. Last Sunday we shared about how, um, how there's this, this concept out there that you have to show someone his sinfulness or the depths of his depravity before they can really appreciate grace. Um, and that um, in some ways uh, it's even taught that they really need to almost be under law. You know, we talked about uh, Jonathan Edwards, his classic book, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that this is a, 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 um, a preview that you should prepare people to, to prepare them to receive God's grace and goodness or they wouldn't appreciate it. That's thinking out there. <clears throat> But think about this, saints. Think about this. Now, when God came to us, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, does that fit? Does, it, does that concept fit the Scripture? Because here's, here's a concept that says, no, you've got to put people in fear of judgment first. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards preached that message where he, it was like he was dangling them like a thread over hell, the Scripture said. I mean, the, the book says not. That's how he preached. But think about how, how God came to us in Bethlehem. How did God announce his coming? Was it a, a fearful thing? Was it a, a trembling thing? Was it a... Well, the shepherds did get kind of freaked out. But, but immediately the angels said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We bring, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Joy and good news for all people. So he came in a very um, approachable way, a baby in a manger, in a feeding trough, to shepherds. Not as a, a fearful king coming with, with you know, dread uh, and fear. In fact, the scripture even says of him, when he came into Jerusalem, he didn't choose a big white horse to come in, but he chose a, a donkey, even the foal of a donkey, a baby donkey. And the scripture, the prophets foreseeing his coming in Jerusalem that day said, oh, Zion, fear not. Don't be afraid of this king. Don't be afraid. Your king comes to you meek and lowly, riding upon a donkey, even the foal of a donkey. So, so you, you see something's not fitting here. So that's God coming to us with all humility 
and simplicity and great grace and great love. And yet we have men teaching that, no, 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 you got to put, you got to tell people about fear, his fear, you know, be, uh, make them afraid of God. And, and, you know, he's an angry God. And uh, I, I think that's just so wrong. It's not, it's not what Jesus did. When Jesus came into a town, people were drawn to him. They would leave their homes and businesses to hear what he had to say. But it was just the religious who stayed and didn't come. They would send their spies to go hear him, but they wouldn't go. The religious didn't want to hear him, but the people, the masses did. Now, the reason why this is so, it's so important how to preach the gospel, how to receive the gospel, how to understand the gospel. It's so important because it affects not only the people that we speak to and share with, in the way that we preach Christ, but it also affects our own lives, how we live the gospel. Because the scripture says this, and this is a real big key. The scripture says that as you received him, so walk ye in him. The way you receive him is the way we walk in him. It doesn't change. In other words, you don't have a message of sinners in the hands of an angry God and that's the way you receive him and now that changes because what happens in that approach to the gospel, they never leave that. As people, if people receive God in that way, like the, it's all about sin, it's all about me uh, seeing that I'm a sinner and that I need to be more holy, they, that's the dynamic they live with for the rest of their life. I mean, they, they just say we're a sinner saved by grace. So it's very important that we receive it right in the, in the first place so that we live it in the way it should be lived. Uh, Galatians says, having begun in the spirit, are you now made per- perfect by the flesh? Talking about the law. There's another, there's another verse that talks about God's way of as you begin with him, you continue with him. As we received him, so walk ye in him. So what is the truth? What is the way to understand the gospel and the work of Christ so that in the way we receive him is the same way we walk in him? We never leave the way we understood the way we received him. It's so cool to see this. And then it's consistent. You know, we have one message to people. We have one message to ourselves. And we just grow more and more in this reality as God reveals, us, reveals to us his way. Um, and this, this, is what, um, this is what's so cool to me. So, all right, when you deal with law, and we've got two covenants here, covenant of law, covenant of grace, we know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers, had no knowledge of the law. They were, far, they were foreign. The law was foreign to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because it came 400 and some years later. So here's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob living in a relationship with God, and they had no law from Sinai. It was a relationship they had with God. It was all about grace and faith, grace and faith. It was a foreshadowing of the new covenant, Paul tells us in Galatians. He talks about how the law was added temporarily and then removed. It was added many hundreds of years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then it was removed at the cross when the veil of the temple was rent in two. So... God's way has always been to bring us into this relationship with him by grace and through faith. Okay, when we deal with law, the scripture says through the law is the knowledge of sin. Through the law is the knowledge of sin. Law is all about revealing sin. Through the law is the knowledge of sin. So if you feel like the way that someone enters this new covenant or, this gospel, or receives this gospel is to 
point out the sin and to focus on the sin, then that's going to be your, your mode. It's, it's all going to be all about what's in the flesh. Grace, on the other hand, is all about life. Life. Okay, these are the two, this, these are the two mindsets that tr- trip people up. The, the new covenant is not about looking into the depths of the flesh to see sin. The new covenant is all about looking into the depths of God to see our need of him. That's the difference. That's the difference. See, that's why you don't have to know the depths of your depravity to see your need of him. The moment, if you, if, you, if you understand, if I understand that only those who are perfect can go to heaven, only those who are perfect can go to heaven, then if I can, sh- if I can show you or if the Holy Spirit can show you one imperfection, end of story. You see it? So at that point, what do we do? What do we do? Do we continue to look for more imperfections? Why? There's only one. It only takes one imperfection to disqualify you from heaven. You must be as perfect, as righteous as God himself to go to heaven. So God's wisdom is such that he doesn't have to show us the depths of our depravity. All he has to do by the Holy Spirit is to bring us to this understanding that we need a Savior. We need, we need him. And so that's why we can preach Christ and not worry about trying to show someone how evil their heart is because the Spirit of God will reveal. The Scripture says the Spirit convicts the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. We don't have to worry about that because all they have to do is come to the place where they realize, wow, I have sinned and, and my righteousness is not good enough and without a gift of righteousness, I could never go to heaven. So the moment the person sees their need of Christ... It shifts, everything shifts from trying to look into the flesh or look into sin. It shifts to him, to see him, to see what, what, is, what has God done in him for me. Okay, let's look at this real quick, if you would, in the book of Mark. Is that making sense so far? It's really, it, I tell you, I hope I'm communicating it clearly, but it's so cool to see God's way. That's why he came. That's why the, the goodness of God came to reveal to us his love and his drawing to us he said if i be lifted up on the tree i will draw all men to me if we see that he took our judgment on the tree then we say oh my god and the love of god draws us to him and just so i'm clear about that the reason why uh, or the, the way let me just be real clear the way we are made perfect or the way we get perfect is by him giving us his perfection as a gift and that's what I was trying to explain. But that's, that's what's so key is for us to see that any imperfection disqualifies us for, from heaven. It, we must be perfect. There can be no sin in heaven. And, and in fact, the new creation doesn't even have a past. It's not that he cleans you up and leaves you like you are in the flesh. He puts the, the flesh to death. The old man died and a new is raised. The new man has no evil past at all. God can't even join himself to something that got cleaned up. He can't. He's perfect, holy, unapproachable light, has no beginning and no end. He has actually joined us to 
Someone who has been raised from the dead, created new, has no evil past, never sinned. As if we say that justified is as if you never sinned. That's true. It's like, it's awesome. And we have this, as sons and daughters of God, as a new creation, we have no past in his eyes because he has raised us from the dead. And that allows him to join himself to us and give us all that he is. It's awesome. Okay, let's look at this. This is so cool. Uh, let's see, the Gospel of Mark. I love this. Let's just go through this real quick. Um, well, not too quick, but um, Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Okay, by the Holy Spirit, let's go here and let's see this. Let's see this together. Just like a movie. This is recorded by the Spirit of God, the Gospel of Mark. Let's go there and let's see this together by the Spirit. Let's behold him. And when he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterward, and that was Jesus' hometown. That was his, his, um, his main headquarters, Capernaum, where he would come, leave and come back, back and forth, Capernaum. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Now, when he says speaking the word to them, he's speaking the revelation of the other reality, the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking the revelation of this reality that man can have with God. This other reality, the word. That's what he's talking about there. Verse 3, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, he saw the faith of the four men, said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. And there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. And he says, why? If you would, circle the word why there, if you, if you want to. What, unless you don't want to write in your Bible, that's all right. What, verse 7, why? Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that, they, that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk. Which is easier to to do? Which words are harder to pronounce? Which one of those things is more difficult? To say, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise up and walk. Which one is easier? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, so that you may know something you cannot see with your eyes. That you may know what I said, Son, your sins are forgiven. You didn't see anything. So you don't really know that I have the authority to do this. 
So I'm going to say something else that you will see. And I can say it just as easy as I say your sins are forgiven. Because it's all from me. I have authority to forgive sins, Jesus said. And I have authority to heal the sick. It doesn't matter. But one thing you can see with your natural eye. And if you see that, maybe you'll believe this. Awesome. Then he says, then he turned to the paralytic. And he said, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I tell you, when Jesus comes on the scene, the new covenant You read again and again and again in the Gospels and in the book of Acts this sense of awe that we have never heard it like this. No man has ever spoken like this. We have never seen anything like this. How can these things be? How can this be? The wonder of God's grace, the wonder of this forgiveness, the wonder of God's love, it's, it's, it brings this awesome, you know why? Because it's contrasted against what man is used to. Man is used to knowing that they're sinners, knowing that God is holy, knowing that they, they deserve judgment, knowing that all these things are wrong with them, and, you know, and yearning for God and life and purpose and meaning. They're used to that. So when God comes on the scene and blows everybody's mind without, with no fear and no judgment, forgiving sins, healing the sick, moving in a, real, a way that is like freaking people out, like we don't deserve this. I mean, how can he do this? How can he do this? Only God can forgive sins. You see? It was this sense of awe, this goodness of God that was coming in their midst that was like, oh, my God. You know? Okay, so they ask, you know, why did he do this? Why? And so he saw the real need. He saw the real need in this situation that it wasn't just the physical healing, but the real need was he needed forgiveness of sins because he could get healed physically and die and be separated from God without the forgiveness of sins. So the Lord saw the real need and spoke that first, and then was in that was teaching them how he has the authority to forgive sins and raise the sick. All right, look at verse 13. And he went out again by the, sea, by the seashore, and all the multitude were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came about that he was reclining at the table in his house. And many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them. And they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, why? You can circle why again if you want. Why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners. Tax gatherers don't really have the same connotation today as, as it had back then, but tax gatherers were really, um, they were Jewish people that the Romans hired to collect taxes from their own people. They were despised because they would overcharge and take portions of that tax for themselves. They were traitors to their own people. They were swindlers, they were uh, sleazy, and they were just hated. 
by the hardworking Jews who despised the Roman rule. But these tax gatherers were their own brothers who had joined up with them and got paid by the Romans by, by the portions that they kept themselves from their own brothers and sisters. So they were just like, they were like dirt. And they couldn't believe Jesus was eating with these people. Okay. Verse 17. Hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician. Circle the word need there. But those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So there's, he's asking him, why is he doing these things? And the answer is always, because there's a need. Look at verse 18. And John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came, and they said to him, Why? There's another why. Why? Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Interesting. John the Baptist, his disciples fasted and the Pharisees fasted. John actually had the question asked. You know, he was, when he was taken into prison, he said, this is not fitting my template. This is not fitting what I expected. I really expected um, us to, be, to see ourselves as sinners in the hands of an angry God. And yet this, this one is going around forgiving the sick. I mean, forgiving people's sins and healing the sick. And send a word to him and ask him, is he really the one or should we look for another? See, John's disciples were acting just like the Pharisees' disciples. Because even John didn't see the fullness of what God would do in Christ. For the law and the prophets were until John. But now the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed. The, the actual unfolding of this new revelation of grace in the kingdom would come only through the Christ. John could only point to him, but he pointed to him partial, with partial understanding, so much so that he would ask, are you the one or should we look for another? Because what I see you doing does not fit my idea of how God was going to come and purge the world. John preached fire. He said, God is coming to purge the earth. And establish his kingdom that fire will come and burn the rubble. And you know, that's how John saw God coming. The kingdom was coming with judgment. Great judgment. And then the kingdom would be established. That's what John preached. What John didn't know was the hidden way in which God would do this. For judgment was surely coming. But it was coming on God himself. He would take the judgment. He would purge the earth. He would be lifted up between heaven and earth. And John did not see it. And that's why he said, are you the one or should we look for another? Awesome. Okay, so then we see here, verse 19. And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. What he's talking about there is that... If you really knew who I was, you wouldn't be fasting. You'd be rejoicing. The day's going to come, then yes, I'll be not with you visibly where you can see me. And those will be the days at times you'll fast and pray. But now is not a time to fast. The bridegroom is here. And John didn't see that. That's why his disciples were fasting. And Jesus was trying to explain to them that John didn't realize what is right, right before him. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. One puts new wine into fresh wineskins. 
So he, he says it here to explain the difference between the view that John had and the Pharisees and what was coming, this way of grace, this new covenant, that you can't mix these two. You can't preach sinners in the hands of an angry God and then switch. It doesn't work because as you received him, you walk in him in the same way. What you can preach, though, is our need of him, his great love for us and our need of him because that never changes. We grow in in a greater awareness of our need of him for the new creation is really hardwired in that way that we live by his life. Okay. Then, look at verse 23. This is so cool. And it came about that, about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. This is on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were saying to him, see here why. Here's another why. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need? Circle the need again. See, they're asking him, why is he doing this? And the answer is always their need. Why are you forgiving sins? Because of the need. Why are you allowing this? Because of the need. Why are you allowing them to eat this grain? Because of the need. You see God's heart? See, God's not into trying to point out our sins. He's into us seeing our need of him. Awesome. Have you never read, verse 25, have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathor, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread? Jesus really knew the scriptures, obviously. Which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he gave it also to those who were with him. So David did something unlawful to go inside the temple, get the, the bread, the show bread, in the holy place. His men were hungry. He did that because they had a need. And no judgment fell upon David because David knew the heart of God. God was not into law-keeping. He was into meeting men's needs. Jesus is basically saying, if you had read this and understood this, then you would not condemn my disciples because they're hungry. And even though it's the Sabbath, they can eat grain because God is more interested in their need than ritual. Because all ritual points to me, Jesus would say. Then he says, verse 27, and he was saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So it all comes back to him. It's like, you know, instead of the religious thinking that says, you know, man was made for the Sabbath is, is the reverse thinking. No, man was not made to keep laws. Laws were made to help man to fill their need, to show them the revelation of God in Christ. So anyway, I just I wanted to show this that isn't that cool to see how when Jesus moved, um, you see him. Meeting the need, whatever the need was. I love that in another passage, one of the other gospels talks about this, how, how David went into the temple and got the bread, the same story. And it says that um, Jesus said, have you never read how when David, when his men hungered, he went into the temple to get bread for his men. And the scripture says that um, though he, what he did was unlawful, he was inside the temple and therefore blameless. And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, one greater 
then the temple is in your midst. In other words, they're with me. They're with me. So if you're in him, even though we break the law, even though we sin, we are blameless in God's eyes. That's the picture God was painting. Here are men inside the temple breaking the law, yet blameless, because God says they're inside the temple. And Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, one greater than the temple is among you, the Son of Man himself. So by being in him, we are blameless. It's not about our obedience. It's not about how good we are. It's about being in him. Isn't that awesome? That's grace. That's what liberates the spirit to be all that we've been created to be in him. And then we move in this same way through our journey in him. We don't try to look into the flesh to see all that's wrong so we can improve. It's like that example we gave last Sunday about the phone. You know, you got an old phone that doesn't work and you get a new phone. It's not about refurbishing the phone. If it was about refurbishing the phone, then yes, we would need to study the phone, find out what's wrong with the phone, replace the certain parts of the phone that need to replace and fix it. But God's not into refurbishing. The old has died and he's raised a new creation. A new phone has been given. So it makes no sense. And I I thought about this after. I should have said this too. It's like you've even disconnected the service to that phone. The service is now with the new phone. So why are you even worrying about the old phone and working on it? Because there's no service. So I I should have said that too. But that's the point is that the new phone has... Is connected to God. You know, that's, that's, that's the, the new creation. So he doesn't want us to worry about trying to fix the flesh. And therefore, the journey we have in him is not a matter of looking back at our sins. In fact, if you look at your heart as a new creation, you will find a good heart, a new heart created new in him. So we search our heart now and we see him. In fact, the Spirit, the Scripture says the Spirit searches the heart and prays according to the will of God now because we're so connected to Him that the Spirit of God in union with us will actually pray according to the will of God when we don't even know how to pray. That's awesome. That's the new heart. Sin has truly been separated from us. It is now the power of sin is in our mortal body. And that's why we still struggle with sin sometimes. And there's a, there's a fleshly battle. The flesh wars against the Spirit. But that's not you. And the journey is not about looking at the flesh. The journey is about looking at him and who we are in him. Growing in our sense of need of him. Because as we received him, we walk in him in the same way. We received him because we saw our need of a savior. We never leave that. In fact, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper awareness of our need of him. And it's a pleasurable Growing in need. It's pleasurable because it's like the burden's off my shoulders. I can't live this life, but he can. So I need him to live his life through me. I need him. Like the, the loaves and the fishes, they, went, they kept going back to him. And he kept giving them more loaves and more fishes as they went back and forth. That's, we have no capacity within ourselves to minister to people around us or to even, even satisfy our, our own hearts. Only he can satisfy us. And only he working through us can satisfy other hearts. And so our need is, is great, great need of him. And that's what the Son of Man said. He said, I can do nothing of myself. The Son can do nothing of myself. But only the Father who dwells within me does the works and speaks the words. And as I live by my Father, so shall you live by me. 
I shall be in you and you shall be in me and I shall live through you. For I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Isn't that awesome? That's the Christian life. And that's, and it's, and it's attractive. It's attractive. It's, it's as attractive as angels on a night in Bethlehem. It's as attractive and drawing as the great love of God that raises a paralytic and forgives all his sins. It's as attractive as someone who's hungry and needs to eat the grain even though it violates some law. It's attractive because it's the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God that leads men to change their minds and to repent of of the world and religion and go to him, run to him. In fact, one time the Pharisees, I love this phrase in the, in the Gospels, it's the Pharisees said, the whole world is going after him. They were angry at it, mad at him, because the whole world had gone after him. See, the religious rejected him because they were all about law and sin. But a new thing had come. Grace had come. Grace upon grace. Grace for grace. And in that was the revelation of a need for life, 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 life. I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. See only your need of me. Only see one imperfection. That's all it takes. Only the perfect can go to heaven. That's all you need. Just see that you can't do it. You can't be it. You can't go there without God. That's all. Come unto me, all you are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because the answer is not to fix yourself. The answer is not to look back at the flesh. The answer is not to work on the old phone. The answer is to discard the old phone. Behold the new. Come. Explore me now. Explore me, and you'll see yourself. Look at me, and you'll see yourself. As Paul said, it's like looking in a mirror. We see the glory of God. On the face of Christ. And Paul says, I know this, is, this mystery is great. But by looking at the glory of God on the face of Christ, I see myself. For John said, as he is, so are we in this world. That last phrase, not just when we go to heaven. As he is, so are we in this world. What a mystery. How can these things be? A sense of awe, a sense of wonder. God is coming to you. God has come to us. God has done it that no flesh may glory in his presence. And that's the joy. That's the joy. That's why we can, as Paul says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. This is the joy. For as I see him, I see my true self. Live, let us live from who we really are in him. C.S. Lewis got it. In the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan speaks and says, See who you really are. Live from who you really are in him. Religion says just the opposite. Awesome. Lord, thank you for helping us see these things. 
that it's not a matter of looking at sin in the flesh, but it's a matter of realizing our need of you in the spirit. We rest in you, Lord. We rely on you. You are our life. To live is Christ. For apart from you, we can do nothing. We are branches on the vine. But through you, we can do all things. For Christ strengthens us that we can do all things through you. This is the way. As we received you, so we walk in you, Lord. Having begun in the spirit, we do not go back to the flesh to try to perfect ourselves. But we continue as a great tree planted at a certain place. Never move from that place in you. Growing with roots going deeper. Being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Being built up now with limbs and leaves and fruit into Christ. Lord, thank you. Your ways are awesome. Such a rest. Make us strong oaks of righteousness, Lord, as we rest in you. Thank you, Father, for your ways. So good, so good. Amen.